0: Welcome to the ICAEW Insights Podcast, where we analyze the latest news from the world of accountancy, business, and finance. I'm your host, Philippa Kelly, Director of Financial Services at ICAEW. This episode, we're looking at why you should be thinking about your digital assets and the issues with inflation. I'm joined by author and presenter, Jamie Bartlett, and Sunday Times economics editor and author, David Smith. First, we turn to digital assets. Welcome back to ICAW Insights, Jamie.
1: Oh, thanks very much for having me back.
0: As well as the nature of our music and book collections changing, we might start to count NFTs, cryptocurrency, carefully curated playlists, and a prized your name at email address amongst our personal digital assets and contributions to our digital shadow. But what happens to such assets when we die? Firstly, For our listeners, what do we mean by digital assets in this context? And Jamie, what is a digital shadow?
1: Well, it's simple, really. You've mentioned some of them. Things that we own that either mean something to us sort of financially or just because we come to value them in other ways are increasingly digital. I have a huge book collection online. I have a huge music collection online, carefully curated, spent a lot of time and money building that up. But also, especially younger people, increasingly investing what money they have in these sort of things like non-fungible tokens or cryptocurrencies. Things that are, I think, increasingly valuable to people, but we haven't really worked out how we value them or what we do with them when we pass away because often it belongs just to us and there's a bit of sort of lack of clarity over what happens to those things when we pass away for example philip i don't know about you but i have spent a lot of time and effort trying to build up my twitter followership i think that's worth something but i've never given any thought to what i might do with that probably give it to my daughter or something when i die so th- so this is the sort of the, the increasingly important world of your digital assets and what we do with them. And connected to that, I, I call it a digital shadow. It's a, it's a kind of a version of you that's online. All those data points that are collected about your, your your Google searches and YouTube video plays and increasingly your use of smart devices. That's creating a version of you that is somewhere out there in the world, held on servers all over the place that is valuable and is maybe really important as well for you to know what it is. And again, we don't really know what to do with any of this, especially when we pass away. So to me, this is one of the most difficult, but one of the most interesting things about the digital world at the moment, and we we still don't really know how to answer it.
0: And for many of us, it's probably been a slow, but quite obvious evolution in some way. So I remember buying my first iPod and being so excited that every piece of music that i wanted to listen to could be on this iPod and not in a big stack of CDs and now as a as a parent i'm thinking oh should i be getting an email address for my daughter so that by the time she is is ready for that um she doesn't have to be her name 5678910 <laughs> she can have have something that's more unique <laughs> and This all happens without us really thinking about it. So I'm quite curious as to when did you first start thinking about this and why?
1: Probably just as I've got older, (laughs) I got closer to death myself somehow. (laughs) (laughs) But I I suppose increasingly realising that so many of the things, and I keep trying to remember to write a will, and then I think, I'm not sure what I would put in it. I have thought oh, if I, I better make sure that the passwords to my various accounts are somewhere that my my next of kin would be able to access because increasingly read with horror the stories of people who haven't given anyone the passcodes to their cryptocurrency accounts, but also just to be able to close down accounts, for example, it's a really difficult time, of course when you're going through this and you need to be prepared and, and ready for it. I think one thing that really jumped out at me in the minute I read this, I thought this is a big thing was that by some estimates by about 2065, I think there'll be more dead people on Facebook than living ones. So you're going to Facebook will actually be some kind of strange sort of digital zombie world where the living are wandering around <laughs> trying to find other living people. And I suppose it's it's that it's a combination of these stories and and getting older myself has made me realise that I think this is going to become one of the most important things for people and companies to start to t- sort of grapple with in the next ten years, and with increasing sort of speed because as we head towards the turn of the century, if you can believe it, this is going to become a bigger and a bigger problem.
0: And it's perhaps a bit morbid, as you say, but fascinating as well in that. I suppose, as a geriatric millennial myself, as I would be (laughs) classed. um, I'm someone who collects experiences, apparently, over things. So this will become more and more of a a way of being for people. And perhaps what we haven't yet thought about is, yes, there's a personal aspect to this in terms of our our own digital footprints and assets and shadows, but then actually what we expect from our members as professionals. So you, you talked about writing a a will and the need to do that. And actually, as an accountant dealing with an estate, wills, probate, valuations, we need to be thinking about how we equip our members and the the profession with the the skills to start thinking about these things and asking these questions. Because as you say, it's going to become increasingly more prevalent. So... What sort of things are we going to get into in the next In Focus episode that looks at this topic of digital assets and death?
1: I'm really excited about this one because I feel like I I really want to speak to people from your side, if you like, who think about questions like why we value what we value and how we value them and what we do with them and what questions of ownership arise. I think these are questions that your professions dealt with for a long time, but increasingly, I think what those assets are and and, and how we value them are increasingly going to change. So, they're the that, that's the that's that's where we're going to be focusing. Like what what sort of digital assets have a value, and I don't think we've really worked that out yet. You mentioned a a prized email address. I think that's something that's incredibly valuable, financially valuable as well. But we've never really given much thought to how we'd value that. And then, of course, we have to talk about legal protection and so how you ensure in, insure certain things and how you make sure they're passed on safely and correctly and who really owns certain types of digital assets. Is it going to be the company that you've licensed it from or is it going to be you? And I, I think, of course, we, we just got to get used to talking about death when it comes to this kind of thing because I get messaged a lot from people who who say to me uh, a loved one's passed away I can't get into their accounts I'm getting notifications and updates I can't update the the hardware on the devices around my house because the account was in my partner's name or whatever what do I do who do I go to and I don't have an answer for them so When we're not answering those questions, we're often causing some quite sort of difficult hardships for people. So I hope we can also get to how we talk about this a bit more openly and honestly and work out what we need to do to make it as easy as possible for anyone who has to, to deal with our digital assets when we pass away.
0: Thanks, Jamie. I think that's going to be a really fascinating episode and I'm looking forward to hearing more about it. Can't wait. You can look forward to that episode of ICAW Insights in Focus in March. Thank you very much, Jamie.
1: Thank you. Looking forward to it.
0: Inflation and its relationship, or lack of, to the loosening of COVID restrictions, supply chain challenges, the Great Resignation and energy price fluctuations have dominated the headlines in recent months. To consider the issues around inflation, I'm joined by David Smith, economics editor of the Sunday Times since 1989 and author of several books, including Free Lunch, Easily Digestible Economics and Something Will Turn Up, Britain's Economy, Past, Present and Future. He also writes a monthly column for the ICAEW Financial Services Faculty. David, welcome to ICAEW Insights. Hello, Philippa. My first question to you, David, is do you think the current inflation that we're seeing is a macroeconomic problem or a microeconomic problem?
2: Well, Philip, I think it's a bit of both. I mean, the um, some of the aspects of, uh, of inflation that we're seeing are quite unusual and they're driven by supply chain difficulties. And uh, if you remember back to the start of the pandemic when we were only really aware of this being a Chinese phenomenon, a lot of people were worried there, a lot of businesses were worried about the impact this would have on their supply chains, many of which originated in in China. And then it evolved into, uh, of course, we went through lockdowns, we went through in many countries the biggest drop in economic activity in 2020 for for many decades, in the case of the UK for nearly 100 years. And then when economies were switched back on again, we saw the impact of that in terms of supply chain difficulties, something we haven't really had. Uh, in, in the modern era. You know, usually, we've relied on always-on, always-available uh, components and supplies. So this has been unusual. Now, you, it's an interesting uh, question about macroeconomic versus microeconomic. If you look, for example, at um, chip shortages, which are affecting uh, the supply of, uh, of new cars and which have produced this extraordinary phenomenon in, in terms of secondhand car prices, which, which have risen by nearly 30 percent over the past 12 months, That is a sectoral problem for the motor industry, but I think the fact that um, many of these supply chain difficulties, many of the shortages for raw materials and so on, make a series of microeconomic problems into a macroeconomic problem, if that makes sense.
0: That does. And do you think we are starting to see the end of some of those supply chain challenges, or are we still in the middle of
2: it all? The evidence from the surveys is that the uh, the shortages are beginning to ease, and um, I think one of the interesting things is that uh, the extent to which you know consumers were protected from those uh, supply chain difficulties, we didn't really see the empty shelves that people had uh, had warned about. But as far as businesses are concerned, you know, in the construction industry, materials are difficult to get hold of. I mentioned the uh, car industry, but. Throughout, uh, if you look at the surveys, uh, most of them suggest that the uh, the difficulty of obtaining supplies is beginning to ease. Um, you know, and it's interesting how this has now evolved into not just shortages of components, shortages of materials, but also shortages of people, which again is not something we'd have expected before and during the pandemic. So, labour shortages have almost become a bigger feature and a bigger uh, explainer, if you like, of inflation than than supply chain difficulties.
0: So do you think that we will see the the much-talked-about risk of wage inflation crystallising, and despite the the recent unpopular comments from Andrew Bailey, and particularly as as the great resignation, as it's been referred to, seems to continue?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a very good question. I don't think Andrew Bailey uh, won many friends with those comments, but what he was trying to say i think was that um if people try to chase the peak in inflation that we're going to see in the uk of maybe between seven and eight uh, percent uh in the uh, in the spring in april then we'll all end up worse off and we'll we'll end up with higher unemployment uh, and so on that you know the, the bank of england has been quite famous for looking through episodes of high inflation in uh, in previous years and i think he he was essentially asking people to look through this spike in inflation and not try and chase it higher what's happening in the labor market is is certainly not in any way a, a wage price spiral of the sort we used to have in the 60s and 70s even though wage growth has has moved higher and earnings growth has moved higher and settlements have moved higher they are still well below where inflation is and where it is expected to be so a typical picture for average earnings growth is around about 4% year on year at the moment pay settlements aren't as important as they used to be because uh, you know most people negotiate uh, individually rather than through trade unions but pay settlements are of the order of 3% on average so again well below that projected inflation rate that we're going to see in the, uh, in, the in the spring so i think it was a bit of a clumsy message, but I think it's, it's sort of what is happening, that, uh, that people are going to have to take a fall in real wages on the chin for the next few months and hope that uh, the Bank of England and others are right and inflation heads down as we, as we move into the second half of the year.
0: How consistent would you say that picture is in terms of taking it on the chin? So if we think back to recent headlines and where you've you've written for us, for example, about the unequal impact of inflation and the headlines from this weekend of, of bankers' bonuses returning, are those averages disguising very different pictures?
2: It's a very fair point that um, averages can be misleading. And, uh, you know, if we look across the... Um, the economy as a whole. Some people are clearly doing pretty well in the um, in the in the in terms of pay at the moment. So, you know, some people whose skills in are in short supply, IT people and so on, are um, are getting really big increases. Uh, and so, as you say, there's been the return of of, um, of of city bonuses. I think the the consistent picture that we see um, is that um, people who change jobs do better than people who stay in jobs. Now, this is not a, um, a rallying cry for everybody to change their job, but on average, and the Bank of England brought this out in its latest uh, monetary policy report, people who have changed jobs over the past year have received an increase in salary of about, about 9%, compared with people who've stayed in the same job who received an increase of maybe 3 to 4%. So, uh, and you know, it, it has always been the case that changing jobs is a great way to get a pay rise, and I think it's even more true now. You mentioned the Great Resignation and you know a few months ago we were all always all concerned about HGV driver shortages and that was partly the result of the Great Resignation, older people leaving the uh, labour market, leaving that that particular job. So and that is still a factor I mean we are still compared with pre-pandemic levels overall the overall number of people in work is still down by half a million or so but the size of the workforce is down by more than that by by nearly a million and that is mainly because of older workers having left the workforce and uh, and essentially having dropped out so this is a a drop in participation which is helping to push up pay i think the you know the, the one interesting one is also on this point about who suffers most from uh, from high inflation now the ons the office of national statistics did some work on this recently and they found that You know, people's inflation experience doesn't differ that much across different areas of the income distribution, but it hurts more at the lower end of the income distribution because people are spending a higher proportion on necessities. And when you're looking at things like energy prices and the energy price cap, those necessities are really biting at the moment, biting very hard. So this is when you get the choice between eating and heating uh, and so on. And I suppose in that respect... You know the fact that the the minimum wage, the national living wage, is going up by 6.6% in April is quite a good thing because that will help most people at the uh, lower end of the uh, of the of the income scales. So that's a positive. But I think everybody is is going to be squeezed one way or another, and you know some people are, are better placed to do that. Some people have have the spare cash left over from the pandemic. You know the so-called involuntary savings that people people built up during the pandemic when they couldn't spend on normal things so it's going to be a different experience and you know it it, it is always the the poorest who suffer most i think from high inflation
0: so as well as the the short-term challenges that we're seeing inflation whether connected to current circumstances or or bigger issues like climate change is not going to go away
2: it's an interesting one because when I, um, one, the example I was thinking most of about, you know, do governments want to inflict, you know, the the actions to minimise the impact of climate change on voters was the the, you know, the fact that um, the duty, excise duty on petrol and diesel has been frozen since 2011 and no chancellor has been willing to, um, in that time, has been willing to push it up to, you know, to risk the headlines that it gets in the sun and so on the next morning for putting petrol up by a penny a litre or something like that. And of course, we've seen much bigger swings in petrol and diesel prices as a result of the, the current energy crisis. I think the, the interesting one here is it's going to be a question of political will. And, um, you know, we have to do it. We have to take action to, uh, to limit uh, climate change. The government has set itself uh, its, its own net zero target. You know, we know all about, you know, the difficulties of switching from gas boilers to heat pumps and all those things. But at the moment, you know, you've touched on what I think is going to be a new area. I mean, once we've moved beyond the, uh, we'll never move beyond the culture war of Brexit. We may be moving beyond the culture wars that the pandemic has thrown up. But the next one is going to be net zero. Thank you for that, David.
0: You can read David's columns at ICAEW.com forward slash FSF. That's all we have time for today. My thanks to our guests, Jamie Bartlett and David Smith. Thank you very much for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, remember to subscribe to ICAEW Insights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to hear more from ICAEW, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.